Hi there. This is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Grumian, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Welcome to part two of our fascinating discussion with longtime father and son developers and entrepreneurs in Montrose, Steve and Dan Zimmerman. Looking forward to hearing more from them. We're taping today, in fact, from a building that they are have been a part of the development of, the Residences at La Column Door, a fabulous new apartment tower built in partnership with the Heinz Corporation, 32 stories, just amazing and beautiful, uh, that's gone in behind their storied old boutique hotel in Montrose. So kind of an old meets new phenomenon there that's just beautiful and we're thrilled to be here and we'll talk with them about that. We're back with uh, my guest host today, Caroline Starry, a good friend. She's been a writer for me at City Book over the years and uh, she's now working for the Southern Smoke Foundation and uh, that's taken up a lot of her time and, uh, and her heart and it's an important cause. But before we talk about this sappy stuff, can we not go another moment without talking about David Chang? Oh, David Chang. Tell people what the heck happened there. I mean, that, that, was, that was a big, big deal. Yeah, um, it was a big deal. So David Chang is a longtime friend of the organization and of Chef Chris Shepard. Um, they go way back. And when I know that also David and Chris have uh, you know relationship with da- uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who is now the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And so... They do celebrity editions of that. And of course, every time a celebrity is on, um, the proceeds go to their you know favorite charity. So somehow, David Chang gets invited to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they have him designate an org, and he chooses Southern Smoke, which is pretty remarkable because he works with a lot of different nonprofits in the industry, and he didn't have to pick us, but he did. Southern Smoke being your organization Correct. that gives grants to hospitality and restaurant workers in need. Yeah, food and beverage workers in crisis, especially since COVID. So yeah, we give individual grants directly to them. And David Chang says, okay, I'm going to go play millionaire, and he does the thing. And so it was a two-parter. There was a cliffhanger. And um, then at the end of it all, we had a viewing party at Hay Merchant, and he won the million dollars. I mean... The first time a celebrity has ever won a million dollars for 20 years. Yes. Yes. What? And I mean, it's rare that even, you know, a lay person who's presumably some sort of, you know, trivia aficionado, because they're on the show for a reason... You know, they rarely win a million dollars. And so here's David Chang sitting on his, you know, restaurant empire of Momofuku and all that. And turns out he's a smarty pants and also knows all the things. And he won <laughs> us a million dollars. And we were like elated beyond belief. So I'm going to do something right now. Our uh, producer, Luke, uh, does not have a microphone. But you know the answer to this. Do you know the question? Just nod because people won't hear you. Okay. This was the question that he got right to win a million dollars. And let's see if Luke knows it and if our, our listeners who don't know the story. I also want to like inject that I did not know the answer to this question when I was watching it. I mean, I don't know now. Who the hell would know the answer and to this also, question? And also, David Chang did not know it. He, he had to use a lifeline. And his lifeline didn't really know it. She like shouts it out at the end before they like hang up on her and, and he goes with it. So Luke, although he and his wife never touched a light switch for fear of being shocked... 
who was the first president to have electricity in the White House? Was it A, Ulysses S. Grant, B, Benjamin Harrison, C, Chester A. Arthur, D, Andrew Johnson? You're going to go D, Andrew Johnson? Is that your final answer? Sure, yeah. yeah. It was Benjamin Harrison. It was David, Benjamin Harrison. David Chang said he didn't even know Benjamin Harrison was a president. He was like, I know there was a Harrison, <laughs> but I didn't know it was Benjamin. And, you know, I'm like, kind of samesies. And then, but yeah, David Chang's first instinct was Ulysses S. Grant, because he's like, okay, I'm thinking like in terms of like mid-century 1800s, like during, you know, the Civil War. Like he's trying to, because that's what you do. It's all context clues, right? And so he does all these things, and, you know, I, we're all sitting there like, I don't know. You know, at the end, it was a gamble. He said, "I'm a it gambler." It was a man. gamble, and he I don't went, know if this is right, but I'd rather win. And and if he had lost, he'd already, he'd got up to a fi- uh, to five hundred thousand. But if he had lost, I don't know how the game show works exactly. But apparently, if you lose at that stage, you go back. He would have gone back to thirty two thousand dollars. So the choice was: if I get it wrong, it's thirty two thousand. If I get it right, it's a million. It's a million. If I if I just don't answer the question, it's half a million. Right. So he could have bowed out. And said, I'm just going to take my money. But no. And then Jimmy Kimmel did say something about testicles of steel. <laughs> Metallic. Oh, met- Metallic testicles, yeah, I think. Whatever. And, and, oh. it, and it, it paid off. It paid off. What happened in Haymarket when that happened? Everybody went nuts. Chris went nuts. People went nuts. Um, all in masks, of course. But the influx of attention to the organization since then has been nothing short of insane. I think we gained something like 2,000 IG followers within 24 hours. Our web hits went up by 12,000 hits in 24 hours. We've had so many people reach out to our info at email address or via any number of social media channels to donate, to partner. They want to know more. They didn't know we existed before. We've seen a huge influx in our applications, which is ultimately the point, like, yes, let people know that we exist and that we're here to help. It's the kind of exposure you absolutely cannot purchase, you know? And the check cleared. And the check cleared. God bless ABC. <laughs> well, that's a, a pretty great story. Thank you for sharing it. And thank you for being with me for part two of our chat with Dan and Steve Zimmerman. They are father and son developers, as I've said, responsible for a lot of the progress and redevelopment in Montrose over the years. They have a lot to say about what's gone on in the past, a lot to say about what's going on now and in the future. Looking forward to, to more of that interview, which we will get to very shortly. First, a very quick break to hear from a much-valued sponsor. And after that, part two of our interview with the Zimmermans. With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company, too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process, most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. And it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. 
They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at envoymortgage.com and tell them Jeff from CityBook sent you. And now back to our show. Let's talk a little bit about how you've expanded because you have the hotel and then and it has a great restaurant. You, you, you build a ballroom. It has a great event space and that's a great business for you. But you've been associated, both of you guys, in different eras with lots of restaurants and clubs and things. Tell me about just being a part of different industries and restaurants. And, and I know that, Dan, you've done a lot downtown with, uh, that expanded into other business models. How do you decide what you want to get involved in and what makes sense for your family and to put your brand on? Primarily, we are real estate developers. I mean, if you ask me what I do, that's, that's the answer. But hospitality, uh, obviously, it, it is in our DNA. And I grew up in the hospitality business. And I think what you see in so many different real estate models now are the lines between the other hospitality sectors, I mean, the other real estate sectors and hospitality blurring. Office buildings are becoming more like boutique hotels and apartment buildings are becoming more like boutique hotels. And you hear the, the term experiential often. And I think people understand what they like and they understand the experiences and the way that restaurants and hotels make them feel. And that is starting to seep into other industries. You know, people don't build office buildings like they did in the 80s anymore with a giant atrium and everything looks the same and they're sterile. They build an office building that has a, good, a great music when you walk in. It's got a nice scent. They hire interior designers for office buildings. Uh, and they just make everything a little more special. So I think if you look at any real estate project that's been successful, it makes you feel a certain way when you walk in. Obviously, that's what hospitality is all about. So it's very important for us that anything we do, whether it's restoring old buildings downtown or building a new restaurant from the ground up or renovating an old building or an old mansion, that it's, it, it's special and it makes you feel a certain way when you walk in. And as to how we decide what the concept should be, it's just a lot of conversation and collaborating. And obviously, if you walk into an old mansion, it'll tell you it needs to be one thing. And if you walk into an old office building, it'll tell you it needs to be another and so on and so forth. So we don't, there's not necessarily a formula. You know, it's very subjective, but you, you kind of get a knack for what a neighborhood wants or what a neighborhood needs or what we want to do in a particular type of facility. But with La Colombe it was obvious, you know, it had a, you know, dad had the foresight to take this old mansion and turn it into a fantastic boutique hotel and restaurant. So my job was easy and then all I had to do was expound on that and and change the plumbing. <laughs> well, let, let me just say this. the You know, Dan got involved first, but he also has his own, you know, real estate company, you know, New Form Real Estate. And New Form Real Estate is one of a lot of awards. And all the awards they've won have been for for taking some older properties, the downtown properties, he's got some properties in East Downtown and so on, that have character. And whereas I was kind of stuck in a lot of ways with my, you know, St. Paul de Vance, the, the Zim's little deck was, I wanted to play pétanque, because we have a little pétanque in, in our village. So we did Zim's little deck, so I could play pétanque. But we saved it, you know, we built the kind of little building. But, but Dan has, you know, he's grown up with that, but he has much more of the, I don't know a whole heck of a lot of what's going on now. I mean, I, 
a lot of times I keep finding myself saying, well, you know, we used to do that. Well, you know, we used to do that. And I remember when. And so it's, it's really nice now to say, okay, fine. We're going to keep doing some of what you remember and what worked then. But we also have to be aware of what is needed now. And he's got a very good feel for that, which I really, really don't. It does seem as though um, between the two of you, and maybe you're right, it's like the next generation, but you're very keen on recognizing a dearth and being able to fill it. And we, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but it's absurd to me that Montrose doesn't have a just super chic boutique hotel that has like exactly what you're doing right now. So it's absurd to me that Houston, Texas doesn't have a super chic boutique hotel. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think, and, and a lot of it, like I said, is driven by the facility. You know, we're not big on tearing things down unless they can't be saved. Mm-hmm. And if you go tomorrow and you buy a house that was built by an architect in 1980, you might get inspired to do one thing. And if you go buy a house that was built in 1920, you might be inspired to decorate it a different way. And it's the same thing with our hospitality, our real estate projects. You know, I went downtown, I saw a beautiful building that was built in the late 1800s, several buildings. And the aesthetic reminded me of certain things and fit with the very chic open floor plan, exposed brick office buildings you see in New York where all the super cool kids go to start tech companies. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we decided to build. And I think it just, each project is very unique and each project has its own uh, sense of place, which was taught to me by my mentor, uh, who also was in the hospitality business. Yeah, and the, uh, the other thing was that I was president of the Relais Chateau Hotels North America way back in the, in the 80s. And, and so that's, I was, and that's an org- kind that's of, a sort French, of a network of fine hotels. Yeah, but, but it's, it, it's a French organization, but it's all over the world, but it's all small, boutique, unique properties. So that gave me an opportunity to see so many of these different kind of places. Dan will research the hell out of everything. I mean, if, if we're talking about doing a bar in a hotel, he will do all the work and, and takes the time to see the best bars around the world in small hotels or big hotels and get. So uh, I must say I'm deferring a lot more now because Dan does just a whole lot more research and has a feeling for what's going on now. But I think it's been a lot of fun. You know, we, we sit, we discuss we kind of talk things out, and uh, and we come up with what we think is going to be a good plan for that particular area or that particular property. So you and I, Steve, had a history of bumping into each other getting bagels yep. across the street. And I think it's closed, the Einstein yeah, Bagel. Yeah, it, it, it is closed. Thank God. The end of the, yeah, yeah, for the, for the, for the waste. I never line, I quite understood why, and again, you know, you see you draw a circle on the map, and within walking distance of the column door, you have five or six of probably the best coffee shops in the state. And you guys went to Einstein's for... <laughs> it's, the, it's the carbs, man. Yeah, maybe. But I, I think it, it, many conversations that we'd have, brief conversations there, other times, yeah. I always got the sense that you just really love this neighborhood, Montrose. And you, have a, you obviously have a vision for your family, for your legacy, for the way you approach developing... But you also have a vision for Montrose. And I think you've even been a part of like organizations and movements to try to improve the neighborhood. What do you see in this neighborhood that's so important? And how have your dreams come true for this neighborhood? And how have they fallen short? And where are we in sort of developing the neighborhood of Montrose? Well, I love Montrose. And, and at one point, even when we had the hotel, we moved to Memorial because the boys were, were little and... and Becky said, I don't want them seeing the bag lady all the time. <laughs> you know, I want to go. But uh, going way back, 
I really, you know, it was a question of an area for people. And, and way back when, when Fred Hoffheinz was, was mayor, and he and John Meekham and John Hansen and myself all wanted to put the boulevard. You know, Montrose used to have a big, beautiful esplanade, a boulevard. And it reminded me of, yeah, it reminded me of St. Charles Avenue in, in New Orleans. And so I just wanted to try way back there to, to put the boulevard back in. And we actually, we, we ran a little trolley, a bus trolley, mm-hmm. up and down. We were trying to get enough money. And the mayor at the time, right after Fred, I think was Kathy Whitmire, and they just wouldn't let us do anything because it would take, uh, it would take one lane out of Montrose. And yet the vision that we had was to really make this an art area. We actually developed what's called the museum area because before it was just called Montrose. And there was, you know, there were some older things. There was a psychiatric hospital on, on Montrose that was torn down. I mean, it had all these different apt. characters. But the, uh, we, we tried to differentiate, let's say, from Westheimer to the museum and St. Thomas and, and this whole area to really make it a museum area. And I think we've accomplished an awful lot of that. I wish that they would have had the beautiful old boulevard back there. Uh, and, I, and But with signage and park benches and, and so that it becomes a, a, a beautiful area to stroll and ride your bicycle and do. So in some ways, I'm thrilled with where it's come in the 40-something years I've been here. I've had the column door for 40 years and I came here, you know, in, in 1964 so but I but I'm sorry that we didn't get a little bit more of the really the personality that you find in some of the European cities because every European city when you go there and you ask them where do we go and they send you right to Centreville right to the center of town and it's usually right where the church was or the train station and, and when you came to Houston back when I first came where would you go you know there wasn't a center there wasn't a heart and so that was the whole sort of feeling of, of Montrose, that this could really be the heart of the city. And how would you grade the evolution of the neighborhood in terms of your, your original vision for what it should be? Well, I've been involved with so much of it, I want to give it an A here. I don't look like a good student. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say it's certainly a, a, a good B. What should be next for the neighborhood? I mean, wh- what's the next step in its evolution? I'm going to let this yeah. answer. No, I think, I think there are several next logical steps, but primarily, and I think the city is doing a good job of this, uh, and there are many proponents of this in Montrose, but it's not looking at each neighborhood as a cookie cutter in the city. And I think the biggest thing you'll hear developers talk about, and especially the restaurant and bar scene here, are parking requirements. And parking lots are a great killer of good neighborhoods and good cities. And I never quite understood, you know, when you go to develop something in the city of Houston, there's a parking requirement ratio based on the type of use. So a doctor's office, you have one per thousand, a restaurant has X per thousand. The highest requirement is for a bar, which never made sense to me. A place that people go to drink and get drunk needs the most parking so that people can get back in their cars and go get back on the streets. It's just, it's silly. But so I think as you look at neighborhoods in the city as individual neighborhoods, and what does that neighborhood need you can start to do a better job. And I think market-oriented parking districts are accomplishing that. You're seeing those in Montrose. So the neighborhood gets together and realizes, okay, we don't need 14,000 parking spaces per square foot so that a little brew pub needs to have a half a block parking lot because A, it prohibits the brew pub from coming here and opening and they're going to go somewhere else. And B, it makes your strolling down the street uh, this concrete desert. So I think there are several things like that that are already happening. And I think as 
the neighborhood continues to evolve and the people in the community continue to speak up about what they want and what they need, it'll only get better. But I think it's it's already starting to happen. You know, you've got responsible developers doing wonderful things and as the price of land goes up, the, you can afford to pay more for construction. So you build garages and you don't have surface area parking lots. I mean, that was frankly the uh, inspiration for this building. I was standing back on the parking lot of the ballroom and I said, this is just not the highest and best use for this much land in Montrose. It was half the property was an open parking lot that was only used when there was an event. I recall. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's going in the right direction. It just needs to continue to go that way. And we can't have, uh, obviously, interference from, from people that are opposed to change or that would rather see the parking lot than a new apartment building. Do you see, when you look into the, into the future, Dan, I'm trying to imagine how beautiful towers like this, and I know there's a way, what's happening already, but beautiful developments, progressive ideas, towers like this, interspersed with the old bungalows that are, some of which are a block away from here. Is that the future of Montrose, that kind of interaction with the old and new? I think so. I certainly think it is the future on major thoroughfares. You know, you look at Montrose or Westheimer or West Alabama, I think it is. You know, Houston has, it doesn't have any zoning, but it has deed restrictions, which are an effective way to assure you're not going to have a tower on the on the corner of Kipling and in another neighborhood street. But I do, and I think the way you do that successfully uh, is being a responsible developer and, and looking at things like activating the ground plane, not maximizing your site, being thoughtful of your neighbors and not building something that's going to hurt their values or hurt their quality of life. And and I think you don't get pushback if you do that, and you do it in the right way. Yeah, you know, I must say that the this development in particular was very sensitive in all the meetings we had. The architects were Munoz Alban, who were originally from Barcelona, and Jerry and Barbara Hines were very sensitive to the the land being used for people as well. Part, the, late, the late great Gerald Hines passed yeah. away recently. Yeah. Patriarch of the Hines yeah. Corporation. I mean, just partners in this it, development. Just, just absolutely wonderful. I mean, Dan said. When, you know, Dad, we're really not developers. You know, we've developed some stuff, but we're really not. We need to talk to a real developer. And that's how we got involved with, with the Jerry Hines, which was the best. But he was very sensitive. Dan was very sensitive to not doing something that's cookie cut or something that really adds to the neighborhood and the community as opposed to subtracting or causing any problems. And we got along, we got along great with University of St. Thomas, with the Greek church. We do everything together to try to keep this as a, a responsible, you know, neighborhood, respecting, you know, the old and the new. It's also really attractive. One of the things I like a whole lot about it is that, and not to disparage the next door neighbors on any side, but you know, you have a front-facing, beautiful facade, and it's really impactful, but you also have a rear-facing, beautiful facade, and that's not really normal. You know, ordinarily, the back of your building would just be a flat wall with, like, some dumpsters or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it'd, be like yeah. it'd be like a loading dock. And that goes back to you responsible know. development and right. activating yeah. the ground plane. So it's very plane. inviting. And we built, I mean, we had a, where our park sits, clearly could have been more building right. or dumpster or parking lot, but we chose not to. We chose to to give that back to the project and in a way give it back to the community. I mean it's not an oh it's not a public park, but it's a beautifully landscaped park with a pretty streetscape when neighbors walk by. It's not a, a dumpster or a loading dock. Exactly. Right. And I think it's just and that's thought and consequently we had no complaints from the neighborhood and nothing but support from the neighbors. Yeah. That's really it's 
pretty phenomenal. So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean. You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal. And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, Houston-based, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over. You will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again, never hassle with providers, only deal with Real Simple. Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. Dan, I remember years ago, and we did an article on you. And the story, I think, was the, the new generation comes along and you had made a decision to enter the family business I believe you were you had some notoriety as an athlete before that. Or am I remembering that correctly? Well, I went to Rice. I wouldn't say I had any notoriety, but I did. <laughs> but I was on the football team at Rice. But you made a decision to enter the business, and you guys celebrated that and got some press around that. And, and you stayed, and that was that was legit. You really made a choice to jump into this business, and you stuck with it. And now, in your own right, you're a leader in the field. Why did you make that choice? What, what was it about? Pop's business that said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of this. Because, you know, a lot of kids don't. Well, it's funny. You know, of course, you, you wrestle with it. And I initially wasn't planning on it. I went to work for the former chairman of Rosewood in a hotel development asset management firm and was living in Dallas at the time. And it was early to middle of 2007. And then 2008 happened. And, of course, no more hotels, no more development. So I came back home and got my real estate license. And I went to work for a broker in town. And I was officing at La Colombe with Dad and helping him with running La Colombe d'Or. And I just fell in love with it and saw such a huge opportunity to take it to the next level, very much like we're doing again now. His biggest problem was his dad. <laughs> I wasn't the best mentor in general. I was so used to, you know, shooting from the hip. And Dan, having especially had that time with Rosewood, the former president of the Rosewoods, and, and the, the, the mansion in Dallas and everything being done properly administrated it was it was really kind of fun but it's been a great blessing for me and i'm just tickled to death the way it's worked out and dan has taken the torch and taken it forward sort of one more question maybe about looking back in history because i love talking with you about this stuff steve always have if i ask you sort of the craziest stories that happen as a running i think any hotelier would have stories about sort of celebrities and crazy things and the requests that you get from some guests is running a hotel is crazy of an occupation as it seems and you have to take any names and secrets to the grave (laughs) that's rule number one of hospitality anyone any story you may tell is anonymous fair enough well there have been some tremendous adventures 
uh, and we've had some great celebrities at the Column Door. Walter Cronkite uh, spent a week with us. Um, Madonna was here. Uh, Linda Ronstadt. We've had some great people, and and a lot of people. We got known because Walter Cronkite. The first guest I ever had was a fellow named Jim McManus, who was a CBS White House reporter. And Jim was. We we practiced on him. He was our first guest, and uh, he was here by accident because it was OTC. He couldn't find a room anywhere. And we were not even open, but we did everything we could. And he the went, energy convention. Yeah, uh, he went back to uh, Washington, told his friends, and all of a sudden, the the press people started coming in. Ike Pappas come stay here, and the Peter Jennings and so the different press people. And so we sort of got kind of got known as being something unique. And the press people would tell people we had Judge Rehnquist was here. You know, we've had five Nobel Prize winners. We did Bishop Tutu. We had uh, Elie Wiesel. So we've had so many Bishop great... Tutu and Madonna. Wow, that's a yeah. That runs the gamut right list. there. <laughs> and then, but then for for you know a little a guy like me to be able to sit down one to one and talk to Bishop Tutu or visit with Walter Cronkite, four or five presidential. I mean, I sat at the table with Paul Simon, who was running for president, Jesse Jackson, with, and so that's been just fascinating. On the other hand, you know, I've had a couple of people I won't know, I don't even remember the names, but somebody who was under psychiatric care or something, and all of a sudden he was knocking on the door and, and told me to come up, and he's knocking on one of the hotel doors and saying, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. And I said, oh, my God. And I, and I went, and, and so I said, well, open the door, and, I, and it was his suite. He was staying in the suite, knocking on the door. And I went inside, and I, and I looked up his, and I called his doctor because I was, and I just wanted him to go. The next thing I know, he was taking down my draperies and the linens and things and packing them. And I'm helping him pack up draperies <laughs> just to have him go. You're like, please so just leave. We please. Had a, I had another senator at one point from Louisiana, without mentioning names, who damn near burnt the place down, you know, with cigarettes at night and drinking too much and all of a sudden the curtains are on fire. So let's just say it hasn't been boring. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I'm sure there are another topic for an entire podcast probably. Yep. When you look around now, Obviously, we've, we've spent some time talking about this development, but when I drive around the neighborhood now, it seems like there's so much development, so, a lot going on right now. Cranes everywhere. Some of these d- mixed-use developments over, over on Dunlavey and, uh, that have been sort of on hold for a long time that are coming along now. And, uh, I mean, how do you feel about... It occurs to me that the pandemic has had a, a negative impact on a lot of things, and maybe in your business to some degree in some ways... But a lot of developers are moving forward full speed, and a lot in Montrose. How do you feel about sort of the state of the redevelopment of Montrose writ large now? I think it's great. And, you, you know, when you look at large-scale developments, they have a very long timeline from planning to development. So, you know, it, it, COVID is a, is a horrible thing, and it's had a tremendous impact. It's also less than a year old, right? So several of these developments that have moved forward were moving forward prior to COVID. And then it's for each development, you look at, you know, should I move forward or should I not? And it's consequential not to move forward as much so as it is to move forward. And I think what that really says to me is that despite COVID, we as a community still believe, and the developers globally that are investing in, in uh, our community still believe it's going to long-term be a wonderful place. And we certainly feel that way. So if you build an apartment building and it happens to open up in the middle of COVID, it's unfortunate and it's more difficult, but obviously you build a building like this and the time horizon for the building is decades. So 
we'll get past this as Houstonians are resilient and get past everything. So I think ultimately what it says and how I feel about it is it's good prognosis for Houston and the community. They think people will still want to move here, and I, I feel the same way, and they think they're going to want to live in the city in unique and dense developments. Steve, when will you retire? Uh, I have plenty of time to rest when I'm dead. So, uh, I just don't have any, I think I'd go completely, completely mad. Um, I, I love what I'm doing. I love working with Dan. I love working in this neighborhood. I love being involved with the arts. Uh, and I don't have the, the heaviness of the responsibility of everything. And, uh, you know, even this project, which was phenomenal, you know, to be, everybody asked me, what's it like being partners with Jerry Hines? And I said, it's like taking Charlize Theron to the prom. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Yeah. But, you know, we could never have done something like this on our own. We can do smaller ones. But so, you know, I don't, have, I don't feel the weight. I feel that, that I can enjoy it, that I'm involved in it. But it's, it's, it's positive. And I get up every morning with a, hopefully with a positive attitude. Hey, you know, God, what do you have for me today? <laughs> what are we going to do? And I put a smile on my face and and move forward with with a, a positive attitude. So I don't. I think I'd go nuts if I retired. Well, don't retire anytime soon. Well, I won't. We, we're, uh, the neighborhood needs you, both of you. Well, we're, thank you. we're fans. And Steve Zimmerman, Dan Zimmerman, thank you for being on City Book and Company today. We've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. City Book and Company is a production of City Book Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brauner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America.